We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Tonight we're going to break down another 2021 NFL draft prospect, another player who we think could be in the mix for the Giants at number 11 overall, a player who in my mind could be in the mix if they trade back from number 11 overall and move into number 17 to 20 range. I don't think he'll be on the board at 42. You can correct me later if you disagree with that, or correct probably not the right word, but you can throw your opinion in the mix there if you disagree with that. So I do think he's kind of either a First round pick at 11, a trade back at 11, or just not a giant. But that player will be Aziz Ojolari, the edge rusher out of Georgia, and a player who the Giants sent a large contingent of execs, scouts, people in the organization who make big decisions for them to his pro day. They also sent a large contingent to the Miami pro day, where Jalen Phillips is and Gregory Rousseau. People want to consider him a top edge. He's fallen fast on draft boards. They also sent a large contingent to Penn State's pro day, which some people suggested was for Micah Parsons. But was it or was it really for Jason Oa, who's another top edge prospect in the minds of some and maybe the Giants? So all that is something that I found interesting when researching Ojolari, how much the Giants have really put into resources of these pro days and pro days are really important now with this weird process where you didn't really get a combine they didn't really get a chance to meet one-on-one except via zoom with these guys they'll get a chance to meet them at the pro days and they're putting a lot of resources into trying to meet these top edge prospects so just something to keep in mind at 11 giants might be looking at edge even though people don't expect them them to because they don't really view an edge as a top 11 prospect overall by bpa so let's get into ojalari nick let's start with the strengths in his game, the things you like after watching him on tape. Yeah, I mean, Aziz Ojolari to me, I I can envision him being a New York Giant. 
to be honest. So first, let's, I guess, talk about just his frame and everything. He's six two, 249 pounds, and at his pro day, a big win for him was the fact that he had 34 and a third inch arms. And that's something that a lot of people thought. They thought maybe he was a little bit more short-armed. A lot of people said he was going to be 6'3", came in on the small side of 6'2". So from a height perspective, it wasn't as ideal. But those long, vine-like arms are essential to locking offensive tackles off your chest to playing the run, which is something that he does well because, man, he can restrict inside. He can take on blocks aggressively, keeping that inside rushing lane narrow. And he also uses that wide tackle radius to just get outside and kind of just clip, you know, the feet of running backs who are trying to gain the edge. I really love the fact that he kind of utilizes his length and he's also stout at the point of attack. I think there was somewhat of a misnomer about him not being a good run defender. I saw a guy who can be the end man on the line of scrimmage and take on blocks and win in that portion of the field. So then you look at him as a pass rusher. I think his explosive traits are solid. I wouldn't say he's the most bursty. I think he has a good first step is something that I like. I think his second and third step, it's solid, but it's not elite, I guess you could say, if you're just going to break it down by a trait-based grading type of scale. In terms of his pass rush plan, he has one really, really good move that he uses, and it's the main move that he gets sacks and production off of, and that is an inside arm chop of the outside arm of the tackle, and then he rips around the edge, swivels his hips, and corners to the quarterback. I don't believe he's the most flexible type of edge. Honestly, I watched his tape, and I was I wish I saw a little bit more lower body bend. I did see him bend through contact a couple times, but it wasn't necessarily consistent, and I think some of his testing numbers kind of ended up showing that. We'll dive into that a little bit later. But overall, I look at Aziz Ojolari, somebody who can play the run, somebody who has one really, really good pass rush move, but still a relatively raw plan, has shown counters, a little bit of inside spin and stuff like that, but it's not something that's really prevalent in his film. I think he can develop a more potent pass rush plan, and once he does that, I believe he'll even be a more complete player. But he's not a finished product quite yet. I don't necessarily want to say that he's quote-unquote raw, but I do believe that he's a player who can step into this Patrick Graham system, which we'll also get into a little later, and have success because he can set the edge and because he can generate pressure. Just needs a little bit more to that plan. Yeah, I think you got you nailed it. I mean, he's an interesting prospect for all of those reasons. You talked a little bit, though, about his athleticism and his testing, so I do want to start there. Six foot two, two forty nine. Some people thought that he played at Georgia at 240, so he's maybe added some weight because he's going to need to, they think, for the next level. Makes sense as an edge, someone who needs to set the edge in the run game, which, again, is so incredibly important. People don't talk often enough about it. And I'll ask you some questions about that. But let's just talk about his testing for starters. So it's kind of like a good and bad testing, I think. So we start with, like, the pure numbers, like 34 and 3-inch arms, and 3 and 3-eighths-inch arms. That's 84th percentile. That's good. 10-and-a-half-inch hands, 95th percentile. That's good. 82 and 4 8 inch wingspan, 81st percentile. That's good. 10-7 broad jump, which generally does typically test for explosiveness. 94th percentile. That's good. Obviously, the 46240, which is in the 90th percentile. Now, as far as percentiles goes, you're going to see a lot about this as far as testing goes. Let's keep in mind here that this is all pro day stuff, and it's not like really fair to, in my mind, to put these percentiles on because it's just going to be so much more inflated from their actual combine numbers. You have to just remember at the Combine, these guys are under incredible stress and they're up until like three in the morning sometimes and they're getting tested, mental tests, uh, intelligent tests, all that type of stuff is going down at the Combine. So they're under a lot of stress by the time they have to go and take the field. They're definitely not at 100% here. These kids get to sleep in their freaking beds, wake up, have a great meal and then go and work out. And that's why we're seeing inflated numbers. Yeah, for sure. 
And also, these are only the good things we talked about as far as his testing goes. His testing ultimately, if you look at it objectively, wasn't good for two key reasons. For starters, if you look at just the raw athletic score rankings, the RAS rankings, which you'll see on Twitter a bunch, and if you're not familiar with it, let me know. I can point you in that direction. He's nowhere near the top. The top was obviously Jason O with a 9.96. But then you look down the list. In the top 10, the lowest you get on a raw athletic score ranking is 9.34. And Aziz's was 8. Point, and that's in the lowest in the top 10, I should say. 9.34. And remember, O was 9.96. Ojolari was 8.19. Why? So now you get to the bad stuff. The, the, the second worst thing, and I'll get to the worst, the thing that I actually care about. The second worst thing that people are you know going off about now and talking about is that 30-inch vertical. This one is not as important to me, and I want to get your take on it, because I do remember going back a couple draft classes ago, I had Dalvin Cook as my clear-cut RB1 in that class. I thought he was unbelievable. People were like, this guy stinks. You can't take him because he had a 32-inch vertical. Everyone kept pointing to that 32-inch vertical like it was going to mean Dalvin Cook had no explosiveness at the next level. Dalvin Cook couldn't play at the next level. Ultimately, that 32-inch vertical ended up meaning nothing. I don't know how much I want to put in the vertical jump. I'm curious what you make of how much people are saying this 30-inch vertical is really bad when it comes to Ojolari. Well, you want to be able to showcase lower body explosiveness, especially as an edge rusher. I believe his, I think it was a 1-6, 10-yard split that he ended up having, which is, uh, you could correct me on that if I'm wrong. That's a very good number for an edge rusher. It's something that you do want to see, but you still want to see it from all aspects. And what was his percentile for the vert? I don't have his, his percentile in front of me for the vert, but I would imagine it's really, really low. Yeah, so you want to you ideally want to see the lower body explosiveness thrive in every type of aspect, whether that be the broad or the vert. So it's definitely something, as we always say, to take into account in the evaluation. But here's the one I actually care about that I think is really playing a big role in dropping his RAS raw athletic score and just one that I actually care about. When it comes to pass rushers off the edge or offensive tackles, there is a lot of good data that suggests the only thing you should really be looking into. Well, for the offensive tackles, there's two things. The shuttle is actually super important, they've found. But also the key one, always and always will be, because it shows off your agility, which is extremely important as both a pass rusher and an edge offensive tackle, is the three cone. And he had a really bad three cone. So does that one kind of stand out a little bit more to you maybe yeah definitely your three cone typically you want to be under seven seconds for three cone that's like the barometer a lot of people like to use to judge if you're above the threshold of athleticism or not and obviously a lot of that's dictated on the position you play ideally a wide receiver and a cornerback is going to have better agility skills than say an offensive lineman but for these edges you still want like um the kid from ohio state sam hubbard a couple years ago he ended up running like a a, one of the fastest three cones and i remember i watched his film and i remember coming away being like this kid's going to be excellent on stunts and twists because he's so quick at change of direction i mean it was substantiated by the testing scores that he had at the combine but a slow one man i mean it just it just shows a lack of ankle flexibility a lack of change of direction ability so that one would be the one that would concern me a lot more than say a a 30 inch vertical jump yeah i believe his was in the mid seven four is that correct for Aziz? It was a 727. Test. Yeah, so that's that one to me is actually concerning when it comes to Aziz. And I didn't want to get right into it, but let's talk about, since he just broke down a lot of his strengths, let's talk about some of the weaknesses you saw from his game when you were watching his tape. Well, when it comes to weaknesses, I mean, again, it's just he needs a more a more pass rush moves in his repertoire he has the one move that he usually wins with which is where he initiates the contact hits with the chop goes to the rip you want to see him develop more consistent plan a more consistent counter type of plan i love his grip strength and all of that his use of hands something i didn't bring up in his strengths before something that i do love and i do believe he can also drop into coverage but really it's just the 
the lack of consistency, I think, in his pass rush plan. And I, I believe he, I saw somebody who had some explosiveness, but it wasn't elite explosiveness. And he doesn't have elite bend either. He, I don't think he's overly yeah. stiff. I have seen him bend through contact, which is something you want to see. Can he get his hips around the top and corner to the quarterback? I saw that, but there were times where I felt like, oh man, he's in prime position. He got himself in position. He has the half-man relationship. Just turn that corner and he has the tackle beat and then he couldn't turn it. So again, that consistency there wasn't quite something that you want to see from somebody you're going to spend the 11th overall pick on. You want to see somebody who's a little bit more bendy than him. I would say that's a scary red flag for me when you're seeing it on tape and then you see it come up in the three cone because you have to translate these guys to the next level. It's not just about what they did at the college level because they're not going to face any single player with the exception of, you know, he had a really, really good game against Alex Lesberg, which I would like to get to at some point. But, you know, with the exception of a few games against Alabama and, and whatnot, you're not really going to be matching up against NFL level offensive tackles at any point in your collegiate career because so few guys from the college level make it in the NFL at offensive tackle. So that does scare me a little bit when it's not showing up on tape and then you look at the three cone and the athletic and the bend isn't there, or I guess the flexibility isn't there. That is scary because those guys can sometimes just not make it at all. But I do want to touch a little bit just on the raw numbers and the raw production numbers from Ojolari because he was one of the most productive edge rushers in this class. If you're just looking at raw production, he had 502 pass rush snaps in his entire career at Georgia. 502. He somehow found a way to get 80 pressures on 502 snaps. That's absolutely insane from a production standpoint. Now, some of that system base is some of that based on the fact that he really got spelled a ton there at Georgia, which I'm going to get to with you because I think it's a potentially a red flag, maybe. But 80 pressures, 15 sacks, 17 quarterback hits, and 48 hurries in just 502 snaps. He was top 10 in pass rush win percentage, according to PFF. He was top 10 in overall percentage among all power five rushers over the last three years who had at least 500 pass rush snaps. And here's how the top the percentage of top 20 uh, edge prospects, I'm sorry, the percentage of 2020 snaps from, ed, from edge prospects generated by football sports info since solutions, which is kind of a new kind of analytics-based um, data source. They have Pay with 23%, percentage of uh, pressure snaps Aziz with 21% and those are the top two Jalen Phillips is actually in that but he's number five with 13 percentage Um, according to PFF he was fourth with 20.7% pressure uh, fourth among these guys so again according just to give you one more like kind of I guess comparison or just a way to look at this according to Marcus Mosher his size speed comps based on all of the athletic testing are Vic Beasley Harold Landry, Von Miller, Tack McKinley, and Zach Bond. Those were the five closest here. And he was overall, by grade, now this is not pressure percentage, it's just total grade, PFF's number one uh, pass rusher, number one highest graded pass rusher. So those are just some stats to throw at you. Let's dive a little bit into kind of the fit and the questions regarding Aziz Ojolari. So I'll start here. PFF compares him favorably to Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, John, Le- <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to get that one right. I saw the struggle in your face. <laughs> in Gakwe, I don't even know how you say it. Yannick, I'm just going to call him Yannick. John Ledyard, who we love and was going to be on the show shortly, by the way, in the next coming weeks, he's going to do a breakdown of all the edge guys from what he saw in film. He says he thinks this is a great comp as well. How do you feel about this comp to Yannick? And would that concern you with his ability to set the edge at the next level? Yannick is obviously a great sack artist, someone who gets strip sacks, but also someone who was supposed to get that big contract 
didn't get it, got traded to the Vikings, then they dumped him midseason to the Ravens, and the Ravens didn't even re-sign him, and he then moves on to the Raiders for a mediocre contract. Like, is Yannick that good? Like, I, I, I don't love Yannick. It's just kind of what I'm getting at here, Nick. So I don't. I want to know if you think that, and mostly because I don't think Yannick does a good job of playing the run, and I don't like these one-way type guys. Do you think that could be an issue for him, for Ojolari? I don't think Ojolari plays the run like Yannick Ngakwe. I think there he's much better run defender than someone like Yannick Ngakwe. He doesn't get blown off the line like that. He takes on blocks a lot more. And I believe, just from, like, I don't know Yannick Ngakwe at all, obviously. But yeah, yeah. there was a lot of reasons, I think, outside of his play that he's not getting contracts. I mean, remember, he was tweeting, throwing, sure. like, the Jacksonville Jaguar. <laughs> Jaguar. Organization under the uh, under the bus while he was there and kind of being a a player that was a little truculent while with them. So uh, there's other things sure. at play as well. But I believe Ojolari is better at defending the run than what I've seen from Yannick Ngakwe. Did you get a chance to watch Ojolari against Leatherwood in that game? Because he graded out. I'm curious because he graded out so well in that game. And I've read a lot about how that game was kind of his like Rashawn Slater versus Chase Young tape. This was kind of the Aziz Ojolari versus Leatherwood, and he dominated Leatherwood, and that was a big deal. Did you get a chance to see that one? Yeah, I did. He played really well and won outside, and I think Leatherwood has a lot of struggles with kind of containing that outside shoulder. He lets a lot of edge rushers get to that outside shoulder. He kind of turns his hips a little bit early, commits his hips outside, doesn't keep that that inside foot square all that much like you typically in an offensive line you want to keep your inside foot square until you really have to turn to kind of square up with that edge rusher you want to get to the proper depth of your set and I feel like Alex Leatherwood turns a little bit too early which kind of gives an inside rushing lane a lot of the times and I felt like Aziz just had a really good game against him that's good to hear because I mean Leatherwood like you said may I guess ultimately have to kick inside maybe at the NFL level based on that I mean, if he doesn't clean that up, yeah, yeah. But we saw Andrew Thomas earlier in the year have a similar struggle to that, gotcha. and he was able to correct it. But I also believe Andrew Thomas is just a far superior player than what uh, Alex Leatherwood is. What a fall from grace for Leatherwood. I remember last year people were saying if Leatherwood came out and was in that class, he would be the number one, potentially the number one offensive tackle prospect. They were saying it last year. Obviously now it's different. He's had a fall from grace, but it's just interesting. Yeah, he would have been, been nitpicked, though. I like yeah, they man. always do when they come out. A lot sure. of people end up diving into the film and seeing some of the warts. My next question for you, does it concern you at all that Ojolari has never played more than 52 snaps in a single game? He was literally almost always fresh. They used him in an interesting way there where he was kind of spelled and allowed to really, like I said, be always fresh there. Yeah, you want to see somebody who typically plays more snaps than that. So I would say that it can carry some concern, to be honest. I I believe they have a very, very deep rotation there. And when I was watching their film, there were definitely plays that I just ended up skipping because I didn't end up seeing number 13 yeah. out there. But, yeah, no, that's definitely something to kind of take into account. I don't know if it's a conditioning thing, though. Like, I don't no, believe that no. it is a conditioning yeah. thing. So, But it's definitely something to consider. Yeah, the fact that he never played that, – that fact alone and the fact that he was a bit of a one-year wonder in the sense that he kind of came on really as a dominant player in that last year – now, he was great in those other years. We went over the stats, but he was really, a, in those other years, before last year, he really played even fewer snaps. A lot, that, it's not to say that's a red flag for me, but I will say that that's, when you're taking someone to 11, it's more of a red flag to me. Again, these are, there's going to be blue chip guys. If the Giants take Aziz Ojolari at 11, it means they're passing probably on a Waddle or a Smith. It means they're passing probably on a Slater type, potentially, potentially on a Parsons, who, again, may not play that position the Giants love, but is a blue chip prospect. So, 
again, if you it is a it is a little bit of a concern for me, I guess, at eleven. Where would you rank as of right now, Nick? Where would you rank Aziz among all edges in this class? I believe I have him as my second, and I haven't studied guys like Jason Owa or, or there's there's a lot of guys I haven't gotten to yet. Sure. But I think I would have him second, and then first would be Jalen Phillips. First Phillips, Aziz second as of right now. Yeah. Okay. And who have you not gotten to that you might think can kind of challenge them? I mean, Jason Owa, you know you're going to watch that film. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And just come away with such an athlete and just mm-hmm. a raw, moldable piece of clay who didn't have a sack in 2020. That's but crazy. I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to have him over someone like Aziz Ojolari. I've watched Joseph Asai. I think he's an interesting player, would fit in Patrick Graham's system, but I don't personally have him over someone like Aziz right now. Joe Tryon, somebody I like. I think he's a quick player, but I still wouldn't put him over Aziz either. And I mean, there are edges a little bit later, but nobody quite like Aziz Ojolari. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's not a great edge class, even talking about edges late. There's some potential guys, but I don't know. This is, once again, a pretty underwhelming edge class in my mind, at least. But that seems to be the case every year for edge, unfortunately. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. It's Big Blue Banter again, this time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. There's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. 
Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. You would, would you draft Ojolari at 11 and or be happy if the Giants did that? Because I do remember all the way, way back in the offseason, you did mock Ojolari to the Giants at 11. I did. But ideally, Dan, I would like, if the Giants go in that direction, a trade back. Sure. Now, obviously, it takes two to tango, and that's something that has to be you know, processed and weighed in. But ideally, if you're going with an edge, I would like a trade back just to get another pick so you can select somebody for depth a little bit later. I think that's fair, and I think even if you did trade back and you had to and you had pretty similar grades on maybe Ojolari, Pay, who I've heard the Giants like, I don't really like at all at eleven, really at all. He'd be the last on my list, I think, of the guys in mix at eleven. I just uh, that that one to me scares me. He, I'm getting Epinesa vibe from him of just like a guy who just doesn't have the traits to be anything that impactful at the next level. Like a good player, like you said it on the podcast, he's going to be a good player probably. He's going to help you in the run game, and I don't know. I don't like it, but as far as all those guys go, if they do have similar grades on them, I can see them trading back. But if they don't and they have one guy they love, they're not going to risk it and trade back. You know that. I mean, like, that's not how this – that's not how Gettleman goes, unless Judge has a huge influence. If he feels like, I've studied these guys, we've gone to their pro days, we've got to know them, there's one guy who we think is much better. I mean, he showed it last class with Andrew Thomas. You know, he didn't trade – he didn't – trade back there and not who knows if there were offers who knows if there weren't but he wanted his guy at, at four he wanted the choice of those tackles so i think the same thing will play out at edge we'll have to see but ultimately we'll find out in the draft if there's any chance in your mind he falls to number 41 i think there's always 42 sorry yeah <laughs> i think there's always a chance but i think it's probably unlikely you got to look at the other edge rushers in the class that are going to go ahead of him i think jalen phillips you could argue gregory rousseau just Mm. because of his freak measurements and he's also a solid athlete i guess you could say i don't think he's a great athlete like some people kind of build him up to be then you have quitty pay who you brought up think about guys like bookie basham is he gonna possibly go ahead i i don't think so but that's interesting to kind of put out there joe tryon the kid from washington joseph Asai, the kid from texas so you got to look are these guys going to go before someone like aziz ojalari i don't necessarily think so but if the giant can get lucky enough and aziz is there at 42 sign me up bro <laughs> yeah it's interesting i i would lean toward saying no like you said but these type of guys like he's not going to fit every system there's not not every team in this draft class is going to want him in my opinion if you're running a strict like do you want him in a 4-3 at six foot two no no right? but you like, could probably convert him stri- to a to a linebacker at that point were you going to use a first round pick on somebody you have to then try to convert to like a 4-3 nope. linebacker so i think i could rule out honestly any of those teams using their first round pick on him so to me when you have these guys who are really system based not system based fits but just not really good fits for traditional 4-3s 
I feel like there's a chance he could be there at 42. I don't think that's a bad take either, Dan. I mean, you look at a lot of the prospects who are edges. Who's more of a 4-3 type of guy or, like, prototypes to be more of a 4-3 type of guy? I would say Jalen Phillips does. Gregory Rousseau. Gregory Rousseau could, yes. Yeah, and I don't J- really know where. Jason Owa is somebody who you can sure. talk about in that. And then you got guys like Janarius Robinson that came from Florida State. Uh, Boogie Basham, he's somebody who can kick inside on, on passing downs and stuff. But when you look at the 3-4 type guys, you have Aziz. You have Joe Tryon. You have Joseph Asai, and Aziz is kind of, to me, the best player of that group. So any of those three, four teams that are looking to add an edge, it might be that type of player unless they want to add someone like Jason Owa, who could also play in a three, four, possibly because of his unique athletic ability. Yeah, I think it's spot on. I think when you look at somebody like Aziz, it's a little bit different because he had so much more production. But I remember when the 2018 class happened, Josh Norris, who's a draft analyst who I really like, he was with Roto World, I don't know who he's with now, and a few others had Lorenzo Carter as a top, he actually had him in his top 25 at number 25 overall, and a few other people I really like thought he was one of those 25, 30 best prospects in that class. I was huge on Lorenzo as well, but Lorenzo ends up falling all the way into round three because, one, he didn't have super great production, he played kind of a weird role in that Georgia defense wasn't always on the field, kind of similar to Ojolari in a lot of ways in that sense. So kind of when I look at those prospects, it doesn't necessarily... Like, I look at Ojolari and I don't think he's a guarantee to go in that first round. There, there were also other things about Lorenzo Carter that I heard after the draft right. about his football character. Like, he's yeah. reportedly a great guy and everything, but people questioned if, if he, he loved, the game. loved football. Yeah, I heard that. Honestly, since he's been in the league, I, I think he does. I think he's shown a lot yeah. of ability to, so I don't think I think it was definitely something that was an oversight. Mm-hmm. Who knows what these teams had on him? I know he has a lot of interests off the field, and sometimes these NFL teams overthink stuff like that, but mm-hmm. I think that was a reason why he fell to the third round. Because, dude, that guy's a f- like freak athletically. I know it hasn't necessarily translated quite yet, but though, he He's the type of prototype that NFL teams typically covet. That's what I'm thinking, which is yeah. why it was surprising that he fell that much. Obviously, the Giants were thrilled to get him where they got him. But I don't know. I think part of it is also just the fact that these, like, you wouldn't draft Lorenzo Carter if you're in a 4-3 defense, I don't think, a traditional 4-3. It doesn't really make too much sense. Like, I don't see him as kind of that linebacker you want in that system or that stand, that hand-in-the-dirt edge guy every play. So who knows? But we'll see with Ojolari. My next question for you would be this, and we'll end it on this as far as this, and we're going to dive into some questions from the listeners. If they sat at 11 and both Slater and Pitts fell to them, and everybody says Pitts isn't going to fall to them. Everybody says, oh, after he tested out, there's no chance. I don't know. He's a tight end. Tight ends don't typically go in the top 10. Like, I don't think it's a lock that Pitts is a guarantee to go. But we can throw Waddle or Smith into this mix if you want as well. Would you view it as a needs-based decision if the Giants did go with an Ojolari over I'm saying you're the GM now. Would you view this as a needs-based decision? Absolutely, because I have Rashawn Slater and Kyle Pitts higher than I do with Zizo Ojolari. So as a player, if we're just talking about BPA, Pitts and Slater over Ojolari. But if you do the need thing, then you obviously Ojolari. But you and I are both two guys who don't really believe in you always drafting for need. And I think the Giants— I don't think you should ever draft yeah, for need. Yeah, and the Giants put themselves into a position where they don't have to. And John mm-hmm. Maris said as much in his press conference. So that that's the way I feel about that. Yeah, I, I would agree. I wouldn't be—it'd be the least on my desirable—I I would say edge at 11 right now is probably— not going to call it a nightmare scenario because the Giants are really good at, have been really good historically at scouting edges, man. They found OC out of nowhere. They found— um, obviously, JPP out of nowhere. I mean, they have done a really—Michael Strahan even wasn't a top 
10, 15 pick. They've done a really good job of finding pass rushers. So I'm not going to say any pick is a nightmare pick, but it would be my least desirable pick if they sat at 11, loved an edge, fell in love with someone and drafted him. Yeah, I think uh, I think you nailed the nailed the head of the nail there. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you trying to get there. Tried to, bro. Almost. What do we got Almost. here? Almost. Let's dive into some of these questions from the listeners. I can't remember where we left off and where you know we have to go back to, but here we go. Let's see. Uh, guillotine. No, this isn't guillotine, but it, it's definitely not how you spell guillotine. I know how to spell guillotine, but gelatin eight. I'm going to call him Guillotine 8. He says, entertaining. I think the pod test is really entertaining, and I love the consistency. I don't review or leave reviews, but I heard someone give you a two-star, so I've decided to give you a five. My man, Guillotine. This is my new boy. I love these guys coming in on Barcavio. You don't step onto that show, Barcavio, and think you're going to get away with dropping us from a four to a two for no apparent reason, even no reason to even leave the four to begin with, Barcavio. You are now, who is the other guy who used to get shouted out? Now we like him. Oh, um, I'm forgetting his name. You are the new, that guy. That guy who left us the one and then converted us to the five, who's now awesome. You're our, you're that guy now. You're it, the whipping boy it, for Big Blue Band. It doesn't speak volumes, the fact that neither of us came up with the guy's name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and we like you because you, now you review, you updated us to the five. You're back on our it's good Kwame side. Zilla. Kwame Zilla. Yeah, yeah, Kwame yeah. Zilla. You're now our boy. Kwame has become our boy since then. He's updated the review. <laughs> he talked, reached out to us, explained himself. But Barcavio, you have a lot of explaining to do. And if you still listen to this podcast and we still see that two-star next to your name you will continue to be the whipping boy but anyway guillotine says i don't really have a specific question but i because i only started listening to podcasts as recently as when the giants beat the seahawks this past season which is cool we always love to hear when we found new listeners and i actually have a question for you if you want to reach out to me on twitter where did you hear about our podcast first and how did you find out about the show because we're really looking for new ways to find more giants fans we personally believe Hopefully this doesn't come out as sounding too conceited, Nick. But we believe that we offer a really good product here. We hope you agree with that too. But we also believe that there's a lot of people who would want to listen to the show that are fans that just don't know about it or just haven't heard about it. So let us know where you found out about this after that Seahawks game. But your question would be, I'm sure you've had this debate, but is Eli Manning a first ballot Hall of Famer? Wow, there we go. Big one. Yeah, I would say yes, personally. But if he, for me, man, if he doesn't get first ballot, I'm not going to lose my mind. Like, I wasn't losing my mind when when the certain players throughout the recent history of the NFL weren't first ballot and everyone like went crazy. I'm like, bro, they're going to get in next year. Yeah. So like, I, I'm not wanting to lose my mind if he's not, but if you, I'm trying to be objective about it. I mean, you beat a combination of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, not once, but twice. Not to mention that you're also really high on a lot of numbers and stuff like that and statistics in the NFL. So yes, I would say I would, I would. Yeah. I think Eli Manning is a first ballot Hall of Famer and should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I think you need to look at this thing a lot differently than some people have. A lot of people are just pointing to the fantasy football numbers, the stats they see every year, the touchdown versus interception ratio, the total yards, the fact that he's never been really in the mix for an MVP, though he should have been in 2011. But then those people are also not factoring in what football actually means and the fact that the Giants had, under Eli Manning, a general manager who missed it badly on first round picks like we're not talking like people talk about dave gettleman negatively jerry reese was so much worse in my mind than gettleman because it's not only the fact that jerry reese had an outside in drafting approach where he just kept pouring assets into skill players and neglecting the offensive line it's the fact that he literally missed on a lot of picks eric flowers total bust eli apple total bust evan ingram for the most part total bust and that's not it i mean you go back and look at some of those day two picks and this guy was just swinging and missing on easy easy big-time draft capital stuff. 
And the fact of the matter is, we know this because of what he did with Mario Manningham, because of what he did with Steve Smith from USC, because of what he did with Victor Cruz. Eli Manning was always a quarterback that needed offensive line more than receivers, and yet they built it the opposite way. So that should be factored in the stats, but the two reasons why I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Number one, he beat Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback in the history of the game, by far, by far. What he did with Tampa this year Put it by far, but it shouldn't have been. The comeback against Atlanta, no other quarterback, not Patrick Mahomes, not Aaron Rodgers, not Dan Marino, not John Elway, not Brett Favre, no other quarterback could have made that comeback. He literally had to be perfect in that Atlanta game for them to have any chance. They had 0.1% slim margin of error there in that game against Atlanta in that Super Bowl. And he perfectly pinpointed, hit every single pass, got them into the perfect plays. The timing was perfect. The accuracy was perfect. Everything. That game alone proved it to me. So anyway, the fact that he beat the best quarterback of all time twice, that's enough for me. And the second one, the 2011 one, that was him. That was Eli. That team had a a pass rush that came alive, I guess, in the playoffs. It's true. The pass rush did come alive. But besides the pass rush, they had literally nothing on that. Besides the pass rush and three receivers, they had almost, and Bradshaw, they had almost nothing on that roster. The offensive line was not very good. It ranked 32nd in in pass protection according to Pro Football Focus. The D-backs were okay. The run defense wasn't very good. The run game wasn't very good. Eli was very good, and he was very good in that game. He made the single greatest throw in Super Bowl history. So now you take all this stuff into consideration. Beat the best quarterback ever and the best coach ever twice in the Super Bowl. Had the greatest throw in Super Bowl history, according to Kurt Warner and anyone with a set of eyes. The throw to Manningham in the second Super Bowl. And the second factor, which is the consistency. Nick pointed to the fact that he's up there in the top five, six, seven, and all passing yards, passing touchdowns, all those cumulative stats. That you can say is, oh, it's because he played a lot. Yeah, it is. And that is good. Consistency is good. The fact that he was dependable every single game, never sat, sat out with an injury. And the only game he missed was the one he was benched for Geno freaking Smith for. I mean, this is, those are the two things for me, consistency and rising to the occasion. And even if you look at the game tape, which I want to do at some point with you, Nick, of that 2016 playoff game against the Packers, if you just charted Eli in that game, he was feeling it, man. Like, he rose to the occasion for that game. You could tell that he was so happy to be back there and have that opportunity, and the throws he made in that game were really freaking good. He looked a lot like 2011 Eli in that game. He was let down by a 4th and 3, pathetic drop by Odell Beckham, two drops in the red zone, by one by Shepard, I believe, and one by Beckham. So that was two, and then Beckham had a third drop on a third and seven, I believe. Those drops changed that entire game because the Giants had a lot of, Giants were going to be going into the half leading until they gave up a Hail Mary, but they would have had like a two or three score lead if they hadn't had those drops from from Shepard and Beckham. So factoring in all of that, I think that for me, it's a first ballot Hall of Famer for Eli. And that was my, it was a long rant, but I had to make it. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. <laughs> I just go simple enough. It's two times Super Bowl champ. Uh, beating Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and people want to take people tried to take away that first Super Bowl. Dan, yeah. like, oh, lucky, lucky catch, Dan Tyree. Then he does it again, and all the egg is just on everybody's <laughs> face. And it, there's lucky catch by Mario Manningham. Like that wasn't one of the best throws we've ever seen in Super Bowl history. Yeah, I think the debate too ultimately comes down a lot to: Do you believe that? the it factor is a thing or not i know it's not substantiated so most of you who listen to this podcast probably would be surprised to hear this from me because i am in a lot of ways analytics based but i do believe it factor is 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 something i mean eli manning in those playoffs games was a different quarterback than he was any point in the regular season besides 2011 when he was on fire in the regular season but he rose to the occasion every single time in the playoffs and that means something to me yeah same here man 
All right, Killa for Love says, this is, love the podcast, this is Caymandante from Twitter. At pick number 11, everyone excited about the wide receiver options, and understandably so. However, our offensive line is a position of dire need. Another receiver sounds good, but we have a good core of receivers right now. I don't even think that was a question, actually. Just a statement. All right, I think we agree with that one. Yeah, <laughs> we agree with that one. All right, we're going to do one more, and then for those of you who do have a few, we do have a few more out there. For those of you who left a review and didn't get the question asked, we will hit it on the next podcast profile we do. So let's see from Lumby, 1203. O-line conspiracy theories, he says. Is there any chance the Giants like their 2020 free UDFA O-lineman Kyle Murphy so much at guard for this upcoming season? He played almost every position on the O-line college. He has a year in the system in the weight program. Giants have shown they have faith in their development, and they're not afraid to start an undrafted guy, Nick Gates. If they only draft the lineman high, could Murphy be in the mix? He can absolutely be in the mix. Uh, I don't know, though. There's really no way for me to know how far along in his development uh, he actually is. But uh, I liked him coming out of uh, Rhode Island, good old teammate of Joe DeLeon, my colleague over there at Big Blue View. Uh, but it's hard to say, man. I mean, I wouldn't put money on it right now, but I can't fully rule him out either. I think I'm with you on that one. I mean, I think the Giants, as far as the offensive line goes, people have expectations for what they're going to do in the draft. And I'm not so sure those expectations are going to be met. I think the Giants might take a different approach on the O-line than people expect, and they might just roll into the season with what they have, plus maybe a day three guy. They think they can land another Lemieux in day three. Maybe they then go in round three, maybe round two. I don't think they're going to take a lineman at 11. I really, unfortunately, don't feel that way, even though we both agree they, they should consider if either Slater or Seawall's there. I'm not so sure that will be the case. Or if they trade down, honestly, I would consider Devin Jenkins. I would consider Vera Tucker, to be completely honest with you, they trade down. I just need, I have such a different opinion of what they should do on the O-line versus what I think they might do. So we'll see, but I agree. If they don't go with a lineman on day one or two, someone like Murphy could be in their plans because there has to be a reason. They're not stupid. They don't. They know that what they're looking at on paper on the line. They're looking at a second-year fifth-round pick who was awful in pass protection, if we're being honest. I know fans might want to hear a nice, pretty, rosy thing, but Lemieux was really bad in pass, bro. There's a reason why he's... Like, PFF isn't gospel, but when PFF has him as the worst-graded pass protecting guard and we're telling sitting here reviewing the all 22 week after week and telling you that he's bad in pass pro he probably was bad in pass pro they got that they got a what fourth year guard potentially slated to start at right guard zach full and will hernandez who's been a jag to be completely honest his whole career sadly except for year one where he was good they have zach fulton who we neither of us have faith in and they have Matt Parrott, a late third-round pick entering year two. So there obviously has to be something going on here where they feel like they're coaching, their development, guys like Kyle Murphy maybe, are part of their plans and can help them. I would really love for them to add Creed Humphrey in the second round if he's around. Creed Humphrey. He's I know you're big dude. on Creed Humphrey. Um, I haven't got a chance to study Creed Humphrey. I know going into last year, though, if he was there wasn't there talk of him maybe coming out last year and he was a potential first-round pick? Yeah. Okay, so he's got that going for him. And where would you, if they, if the Giants went in that direction, where would you want him to play? I mean, he was a center in college, right. but I think he could play guard. You think he could play guard? Yeah. Fine, yeah. right away? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, so. obviously, you get the training camp and all yeah. of that and take the reps that way to kind of ingratiate himself into the position. And worst case, he's just another interior guy. If you want to move Gates or you want to keep him at center, you just have more flexibility there as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. And he would be, he would have to be at 42, or you think he might be there in round three? I don't think he'd be there in round okay. three. I'm curious 
to see if he's even going to be there in round two. You think? You I think, think he, he might could be go in round one. I think he could be a round one. One he's of those not like, getting a lot of round one buzz. I know. I think he could be one of those guys from like twenty five to thirty two. They're like, oh, they went Creed Humphrey. There he's off go. the board. You know, like one of those kind so of things. So okay, I like that. Interesting. Creed Humphrey. Keep that name in mind. Maybe we'll get to him. Maybe not on draft profile. Maybe we'll get to him on a My Guys podcast or a Players We Like podcast that we want them to take. We will see. We'll take a look. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in to the Big Blue Bander podcast. Have a great rest of your week. But before I do that, don't think I was going to let you off without a shameless promotion and plug for myself because you're always going to get that. I have to do it. So please, please, please follow us on Instagram, NYBigBlueBanter on Instagram. That's NYBigBlueBanter. There's a lot of good content going up on Instagram. Do us a favor. Also leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We want to get those ratings up. We're at 525. I don't know what we want to hit, but it's a lot. We want to hit a lot. And lastly... Join us every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Locker Room app for a live Q&A show, talking Giants football, answering your questions. It's kind of like a WFAN radio, I always compare it to, type show. So we like doing that. It's a lot of fun. Join us there. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.